spray to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Thanks, 2FM. It's Tuesday the 15th of January and this is Game On. Well, after winning eight All-Ireland titles, Dean Rock has hung up his boots. Paul Flynn will join us to reflect on his amazing career. Now, we'll also be joined by Ruby. He's not with us just yet, but uh, I can see him. I just can't hear him. So a few of the other things we will be discussing a little bit later on in the programme is Josie Mourinho departing from Roma, Paul Corrie and Mark Langdon will be with us to talk about this special one's career. The Australian Open is in full flight. Stephen Higgins will bring us up to speed. And if you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or you can find us on X at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Now, welcome along. Paul Corey is with me in studio. How are you, Paul? I'm very good, Marie. Thanks for having me. There's a lot happening today and we're going to get to um, Josie Mourinho with yourself and Mark later on. We're also going to talk about Dean Rock and his amazing career. But there's a story that uh, caught my eye just before we came on air and that is Wales winger Louis Rees Zamet going to try his hand at the NFL. So he is 22 years of age. He's a brilliant rugby career. He's loads of caps for Wales and he is now going to pack it all in and see how he can get on in the NFL. So he's going to join the International Player Pathway and this provides elite athletes from around the world with an opportunity to earn a place on the NFL roster and undoubtedly a lot of money as well. Uh, Paul, did you ever think about trying anything else bar football? (laughs) Certainly not NFL anyway. GAA was probably as a... uh was the closest thing for me but you don't really see that hey John how are you do you like um, particularly from rugby you might have thought maybe a fly half or somebody going across to the kicking game but you know this is a is is very kind of far field and not something you typically see but I can assure you that uh, NFL was certainly not (laughs) something that would have suited my skill set Ruby is going to join us now Ruby anything else in your Marie. pardon wouldn't be for me either. <laughs> well, I didn't want to go straight in and say it, but now that you've said it, um, yeah, I can't imagine you in the NFL now. No, I'd look well, wouldn't I? Yeah, I'd say that the only place you might have got me was the fellow that stands way back there and kicks the ball every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> with, with loads of protection. Yeah, that'd be it. There couldn't be enough of that in front of me. It's, a, no. it's, um, it's interesting, though, like just because, you know, we always look at sports people and say, oh, they've been brilliant in, in this or that. So, um, We'll see how he gets on. A few Gaelic you look footballers. At Marie, yeah, we look at how many Gaelic footballers go to Australia. How many then cut it at the very top yeah. when they do go there? The change in sport is probably not as easy as many people think. And you look, I suppose some rugby players have done it from league to union, but you're playing with the same ball and not that big a different set of rules. Yeah. A lot of female players seem to be able to do it, but the pools are much smaller. Um, the likes of Lindsay Pete now going from basketball to soccer to Gaelic football to rugby and then you've a lot of the um, female Gaelic footballers going over to the um, women's AFL and yeah I suppose look there isn't as many people playing it's not as competitive but still it's impressive Mm. when they do it it is indeed as is uh, Dean Rock so he has announced his retirement eight All-Ireland titles um, has been an absolute star for Dublin during an era where I'd imagine speaking of competition it was very hard to get into that Dublin team but he was so consistent he could deal with the pressure um, amazingly and, and just wore that Dublin jersey so well and represented his county uh, so well as well um, 
we're going to be hearing from Paul Finn in just a little bit. But but is that probably the most famous transition from one sport to the other? Kevin Moran, Manchester yeah. United, Dublin, Dublin, Manchester United. When you think about it, like yeah, it's, it is that documentary that was on recently. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so good because you see, you actually, you know, you heard the stories, but to see the, him playing in in Old Trafford and then in mm. uh, Crow Park and and even just the visuals of what he put himself through, like all that sort of stuff. But yeah, but also to one. play at that level, yeah, you know, it'd be different that's what maybe I mean. if if you were playing down at the bottom of the Premier League. But the fact that he was contending for titles and playing for one of the top teams in the UK at the time, and then come back and being so successful with Dublin is is just absolutely mm. incredible. It's just not something you'd be able to do now, is it, with the uh, social visibility yeah. everywhere? Was he sent off in both FA Cup final and an All Ireland final? Oh, good question. Can't remember, Ruby. Yeah, he something, he, something like that sticks in my head. Rings, uh, rings a bell. Yeah, well, yeah. He was sent off in 85. Text us on 51552. <laughs> anyway, sure, look, someone will text us in and let us know if that is accurate. So, as I mentioned, we will be hearing from Paul Flynn because Dean Rock has retired from intercounty football anyway. I'm sure he'll still be lining out with the Ballymun Kickums. He gave uh, Dublin and sports fans some great days but one that will stick out in lots of people's memory was his winning point from the 2017 All-Ireland final let's remind ourselves of it This has to be the kick that goes over the bar if Dublin are to win the All-Ireland it'll be heartbreak for Mayo 116 to 116 6 minutes into stoppage time 40 metres out Rock kicking up into the air and over the bar FM. Now earlier today, eight-time All-Ireland winner Dean Rock announced his retirement from inter-county football. The Ballymun Kickham's player released a statement through Dublin GAA this morning and to discuss his very impressive career, we are joined by his former teammate Paul Flynn. Paul, another one bites the dust. It feels like the end of an era when Dean Rock is hanging up his boots. I know, I know. And uh we were only chatting on Sunday Sports and he's asked the question whether any doves might um, be leaving the camp and I said uh, I didn't think so and he was the one that I kind of had taught you know could go either way um, but then once he turned the year you're kind of thinking okay we've we've, we've we've dodged that one and he's going to give it one more go but look he's got a young uh, kid now and um, you know and look he, he obviously just weighed it all up and with his, with his professional career and stuff like that and he's had such a career you know what I mean like you look back at what he's achieved I was only thinking about after he asked me to come on uh, this evening and from that period of 2015 to 2020 you know and I got a chance to play with him for a majority of that he was just off the charts in relation to his score and ratios and over that five-year period on average he's scoring 86 points a season that's what he's contributing to the overall team like it is off the charts and it wasn't just points it wasn't just freeze you know if you look at you know across from 15 uh to 20 he was scoring three goals a season five goals in 2020 so you know he was a, an outright finisher an outright score you know and uh, and there was a lot more to him to that as well in general play but there weren't scores either in run the mill games there were big scores scores when you needed them nearly golden in All-Ireland the point to beat Mayo in 2020 I think it was like there were scores when the whole of Crow Park was nearly sitting on Dean Rock's shoulders when you actually play with him he he's such a confident player he's so assured of his own ability and the reason he is is because he knows that he's banked the work you know he's a really really tough worker he would have like his phrase ridiculous ratio and percentages there 
um, and they, he would put in the work. He'd be out, he'd be kicking, um, and you know, repetition, 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 making sure that you know when he got the opportunity, whether it be in the All Ireland final with Mayo and Lee Keegan Gate with the GPS unit or um, whatever the game was, he was able to just kick that ball under pressure. Um, and it was nearly like the the bigger the occasion, uh, the more he embraced it, the more he enjoyed it, you know. So, um, but yeah, he he's he that's a that's a phenomenal trait to have that psychological ability or assurance in your own in yourself. When when there's so many good players I've played with through my career, and you know, Ruby, you see it in your own sport as well. And when you're talking to athletes or whatever, there's so many talented players. It's the ones that can deliver consistently at the top, top level, the apex of the game, when they're being marked by really, really good players or the pressure is so uh, serious and they deliver. And that's the that's what really categorises the great players. It's almost the ability to play the game and never play the occasion. Yeah, because he would have kicked the point whether it was the first round of the league. And if you actually look at his score ratio, he, the consistency between the scores that he was getting in the league versus Leinster versus the All-Ireland series, it was nearly... The exact same. There was no dip when we got to the All Ireland series. There was no. He was loading them all up in the league when when things might have, the the intensity might have been lower. It's consistent right across the board, and that shows that you know he believed in his process. He stuck to the same uh, pro- process that he would go through no matter whether it was a big day or was, or whether it was a uh, a friendly or a challenge or, or a training game. Let's talk a bit about um, his evolution as a player because it took him a little while to make his mark on on Dublin and even his partner, Neve McAvoy, a little bit earlier uh, tweeted that when she first met him, his ambition was to start for Dublin. He achieved that and then went on and did amazing things. But he was a substitute in that first All-Ireland that he won. How did he How did he develop over the years, Paul? Well, it's funny enough, like I, I played with Dean in college in DCU. We won a Sigerson in 2012. And uh, funny enough, he actually represented Leinster in the Railway Cup before he played for Dublin, before he made his debut at Dublin. We played against Ulster. Um, I'm not sure exactly where it was. It could have been up in Armagh. And, um, yeah, he made his debut. He played that day. He scored around 10 points or something like that. We got beaten in the end. But he made his debut that day for Leinster before he'd actually represented Dublin at a senior level. I, could, I stand correct there, but I'm pretty certain that's the case. And then he, he probably under Pat Gilroy, he just didn't get the rubber to green, you know, in relation to um, um, game time or even opportunities. But then once Jim Gavin came in, you know, it kind of started to snowball from there. Um, and as I say, like he, he, he did it the hard way in relation to proving himself consistently and, um, but like it didn't take long for him to find the flow. To be fair, like you know, in 2013, yeah, he was a sub. He was still knocking in. I think, you know, he probably would have hit double digits in relation to the scores he got that season. 14 then and evolved more. Um, but it was 15 onwards when he really came into his own. And another thing he carried as well was the the pressure of being Barney Rock's son. Because I'd imagine when you've a really famous father in Dublin who's been there, done that, and, and a total legend, it's hard to follow in his footsteps. But it it didn't seem to to hang heavy on him. No, it's crazy. Like to think that the bowling, like you know, obviously had the the free taking um, duties, and yeah, no, it didn't really. You know, he would have got a good bit of stick over it, but all in good jest because everybody loved Barney because he's such a great bloke, and uh, Barney would always be around too, and he'd be Dean's biggest fan and probably his biggest yeah um, critic at the same time. You know, I certainly as a teammate who would love Barney Rock. You know, I love to see that too. You know that you know he was he was open with it, and you know look, I think probably people think about Dean as. 
a free taker, you know, and I just, you know, he was literally so much more than that, right? And if you look at him, like, from a teammate point of view, um, first of all, behind the scenes, stuff people might not see is possibly one of the fittest players that we had in the team. So if we ever did a fitness test, team, would be right up the top five, top ten, right? He'd be, he'd be, from a speed endurance, a repeat sprint ability point of view, right up there. In the gym, right up there, top five, top ten. It may be top five. The lad is ripped to shreds. He would, like, outlived anybody in the gym. Um, and even in gameplay, right? Like, obviously, with Jim Gavin, you know, it wasn't always about we like to play attacking style of football, but the defense started from the full forward line. And Dean, I always triggered for me, right? Would be when he'd be taking a free, doesn't matter where it was, he'd, he'd kick it over the bar. The first thing he'd do is get a kick out position for the next play before the keeper could get the ball to the tee and try to maybe kick a short kick out. Dean would be right up in the fullback's face or the cornerback's face, getting our press on and setting ourselves up for the next play. And that always clicked me. I know even when I was tired and I'd see Dean doing that, it kind of got me into the present that that play is over. Now we're on defensive duty to win this ball back. And, you know, so he was an ultimate team player as well as, as, well as being uh, obviously a top-class scorer. What kind of a character was Dean Rock? He was, when it came to training, obviously diligent, you know, uh, well up for the crack, no doubt about that, you know. But, like, we, we, we had a great, you know, culture there with the lads whereby we always had the crack you know we always created a nice vibe in the dressing room that we knew that this was uh our probably place that we could have uh, a bit of banter uh but then once we got out onto the pitch it was time to work and he was there was never any ambiguity there in relation to um he would be a leader in relation to that he was always no nonsense when it came to training like you know no matter how hard the challenge was he would just be well up for it, never blink, you know, even though he might come into training some days and I'd be guilty of it, we all were, where you're just carrying stuff in which or you're just tired or whatever. And you might kind of mention it in the lads' dressing room. I can never remember Dean ever giving out about or, you know, not being up for whatever challenge he was faced with. He's, you know, he'd always do it with a smile and just say, you know, let's get on with it, we can do it. So, yeah, like he really, really good character around the dressing room, you know, and... Like, I've no doubt over the last number of years, I haven't been there, right? But uh, I'd say it's difficult for him, like, you know, because when you come from being the top player, you, you know, the go-to player, the guy you, who everyone is relying on to deliver on the last play of a game to win us in All-Ireland on numbers, a number of occasions, to then try to evolve into a team player, and even with the best will in the world, like, uh, you know, we've all been there at the end of your career when you've kind of had to go into that role. It's not straightforward, you know? And psychologically, it can be difficult. And when you're actually... The player that Dean we needed Dean to be, it even becomes more difficult to play that bit role. Surprised this lasted so long playing the bit role. Um, I'd say a lot, like, the, the funny thing is that last year, right, we played in all in the final and he has such an impact right at the end, right? You know, and he gets them scores that just can close out the game. And you sometimes think that that's enough, right? You know, that might be the 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 the, the um, just a little bit of crumbs that might keep him going back for a bit more, right? But then you understand what you got to do to get there, you know? And then you take your, you take yourself back to the tough preseason and putting your body through, through the ringer. You know, he's probably got a load of chronic injuries that, like, have just built up and built up that just don't go away, you know? And But I always found, it like, you know, you could probably tape them up or you could probably, you know, mind them. It's the psychological battle to get yourself back into the grind to go at it again, knowing that, like, there's hungry young lads coming for your jersey. You have to go back and try and win your jersey back. It's not straightforward. And psychologically, I'd say he just said, you know what, like, I've achieved so much in this game. You know, what what else can I achieve? And, like, there's obviously the the card of another All-Ireland, but it comes with a price. Maybe he just wasn't up for that, you know. 
when it's eight all Ireland's as well, Paul, like it's phenomenal. But I think there was probably a perception that they were kind of coming easy. And clearly, like it's not easy to win an all Ireland, but you can't but take it for granted when they they're coming all of the time. But I can't even imagine what it was like for you guys in the thick of it. Yeah, but like that, I, I, that it takes a lot of effort and you know um, consistency. Like I just can't get over those numbers. Like each year, it was consistently and like sometimes coming under the radar in relation to it too. You know what I mean? Like Dean's think he's got three all stars. You know, but like imagine in that five year period that you're kicking on average eighty six points and you're not getting an all star. Do you know what I mean? Like he could have been picked every year, but the standards are so high that for him, his standards are so high that he just became the norm then, you know, and that was what people expected of him. But um, in a weird way, there could be like, he could be underrated a little bit, you know? Obviously, everyone knows Dean Rock's name, right? But when you look at it statistically, what he's done in relation to the number of medals he's won, the team he's been involved in, but also just his own scoring charts and percentages, it's 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 off charts, you know? And uh, so, look, he also had that, like, me and Dina would have had a decent bond too that Neve, uh, his wife, and Fiona and my wife played together and were good pals, you know. And um, so I've actually got, you know, a great picture at home. And I know, I think Dean has the same one too, where it's 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 from 2007 where we won the All-Ireland and um, the girls had come down to the front and we, you know, um, I got a chance to meet Fiona. There's a photograph taken at the time, right? I've got a photo at home with that photo and then the photo a week later where they won the All-Ireland and it's the exact role reversal. And me and Dean were together on that day in 2017 when they won that and we got a chance to do it. And that's pretty cool too, you know, that you had that kind of... So he's always had that, you know, with, with, with Neve too, going through it, that they were all in it together. And now they've just got, you know, obviously... Um, little girl now that they're you know that's that's new to the family and uh, they're only married so you know life does evolve and he's 33 too like the amount of players now that are retiring at 33 we've seen it with Lee Keegan Johnny Cooper Michael Murphy you know it just seems to be the age now that it's really it's, it's becoming testing Paul Flynn thank you so much for taking the time to join us we'll be talking to you again throughout the championship no doubt thanks guys Game On on 2FM Welcome back. We are turning our attention to football. Paul Corey is with us in studio and Mark Langdon joins us on the line. Mark Langdon of the Racing Post. Mark, big day on the news front. Jose Mourinho and Roma parting ways. Was it as big a shock to you as it was to most people? I I, I think the timing um, was uh, a slight shock. Uh, There was no doubt that um, I think in most people's minds that Jose Mourinho's time would be up come the end of the season um, with, with Roma, Sunday's defeat against Milan, the latest in a long run of bad performances and results, was just too much for um, the owners. Um, you know, the sporting director um, is set to leave club um, as well before the season's out, and I don't think there was kind of too many people left to back Jose Mourinho in in the boardroom. I would say that the fans. I would, you know, not all of them, but the majority of supporters were still backing uh, Mourinho um, right until the end, and um, sort of would probably blame the owners than they would more um, Mourinho. He was somebody that did bring success initially. You know that Rome hadn't won a European trophy since the sort of intercity um, was it 1961, um, and, and he did manage to win that Europa Conference League, but. Um, the football um, is as bad as what you <laughs> you kind of imagine and um, eventually just ran out of, of friends in the ballroom. 
That's unfortunate for him. But Paul Curry, plenty of chat online today that Newcastle might be his next destination. Does Eddie <laughs> yeah. Howe have to worry? <laughs> Funny you say that, Ruby. I literally <laughs> said that to Marie while we were off air. I wouldn't be surprised, um, and maybe not immediately, and Eddie Howe's job is certainly safe for the foreseeable future, at least for the next couple of months, and you would imagine towards the end of the season. But if listen, if you look at the Saudis and what they've done in different sports, they want change immediately look what they did in golf look what they've done with some of the boxing that they've put on out in Saudi Arabia they want the biggest names and they want instant success now it's a little more difficult in football given the restrictions around financial fair play and and limiting who they can bring in when they can bring them in but if they feel like Eddie Howe has brought them as far as he can I would not be surprised if maybe not at the end of this season but at the beginning of next season if the results aren't good that they look to bring in somebody with just a bit more experience of of navigating teams into Champions League and going deep into the European competitions and Jose Mourinho certainly fits the bill for that now he's maybe not the same sort of um, prestige or I guess aura about him when he first came into the into the Premier League with Chelsea and even the job that he did at Inter and Real Madrid if you look at the teams like he had Tottenham Roma he's probably on a bit of a downward trajectory but that's not to say that he can't United. do a job with, with the mm. likes of Newcastle so um, yeah I, I could definitely see that one happening I just wonder the timing of it and, and listen you would still have to give Eddie Howe the benefit of the doubt that he's done such a good job there that he can turn things around to what has been a dis- or disappointing kind of six to eight weeks for Newcastle Mark is Jose Mourinho still an attractive prospect for a, a big club? Oh, I think it depends what you want if you're if you're after the name um, and you're happy with that and you want kind of box office then I've and I mean that in terms of the press conferences rather than the football on the pitch then <laughs> yes um he is um and you know even even at Roma like every, it felt like every week he was kind of you know it was it almost felt like he was acting on the touchline at times the way he was getting um in, into dramas with officials and sending ball boys around to the goalkeeper with notes to pass on in terms of what the tactic should be um it felt like he was playing for the cameras more than he was anyone else i mean i would say if you wanted to be a progressive football team and I mean, it depends what Newcastle would be after, using them as an example. I don't see Mourinho's football as being that anymore. There was a time when he first arrived in the Premier League where um, you know he, his Chelsea team were unstoppable at times and um, the, the players spoke so highly of him and I think his methods were, were quite new um, in, in some respects, but he hasn't been able to move on I don't see like that Roma team now if you watch them they've got Dybala and Lukaku up front and the philosophy seems to be just get the ball to them and hope for the best because they're good players you don't see um, if you look at the top teams in the Premier League and the way that they move the ball forward and in unison it would be more like I would say watching Roma is more like watching Manchester United than it is Manchester City or Liverpool or even kind of lower down when you look at say what Brighton are trying to do um, under De Zerbe, like Mourinho just doesn't seem capable of being able to do that so I'd be surprised if he got a job at kind of Europe's top table I, I, I would have to say that there has been suggestions that maybe international football something he hasn't done yet could be his next calling and I could see him doing better at international football because that is about sort of you know, if you look at kind of what happens in a lot of World Cups European Championships it's about not losing it's about kind of just playing in moments and I think that that's kind of what Mourinho's teams do these days I 
I, I, I don't know if the kind of younger players have got the patience to deal with him for um, two, three seasons. Well, I'm not going to mention Jose Mourinho to Ireland, although I just did, but we won't <laughs> go there. I, just before we, we move on, Paul, Kevin Zeffi, young Ireland player, has signed for Roma. With the sporting <coughs> director gone and Jose Mourinho gone, does that affect him or is he just a young kid who's trying to make his way through the ranks there? Yeah, I think you're correct in saying he's a young kid trying to make his way through the ranks. I'm, I'm not quite sure Kevin is on the verge of a first team just yet. I thought it was a bit of a strange move at the time I still think it's a it's a massive transition for any 15, 16 year old to make to to go from say Ireland over to Italy into a completely new culture foreign language and it's proved maybe quite a difficult transition for Kevin it was the same for Carl Heffernan who's now at Newcastle mm. like he, he didn't last too long at AC Milan but Kevin is is one of those players who has phenomenal talent like when I saw him as a 14, 15 year old he was doing things that you wouldn't necessarily see every week from any sort of age group incredibly gifted with the ball his feet and getting past players and you just hope that he finds himself now in a better environment to kick on from there because if you compare him to the likes of say Sam Curtis who mm-hmm. stayed in the League of Ireland potentially on the move to the UK Adam Murphy as well was that age group they've probably crafted a better CV for themselves within the game by staying and then going on to the UK so you would hope that the move from Inter Milan to Roma of late is something that puts them in and around the first team but still a hell of a lot of work to be done there Yes there is indeed Mark the, probably the bigger news in English football right now is that surrounding Everton and Nottingham Forest and the profit and sustainability rules that both are have been charged with breaking I looked into this to try and educate myself some bit into what was going on here so clubs are allowed to lose £105 million over a three year period of, of losses Everton broke that last year. They went 19 million over the limit. They lost the 10 points for it, but they're up again and so are Nottingham Forest. This is starting to look like a case that could unravel a lot of the Premier League. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, particularly if it doesn't get sorted out um, in the season, uh, which I, I think is the the fear um, for, for many is that you kind of end the campaign not knowing what division you're in and what you're up against from a um, a, a sort of points total point of view. So I think the Premier League uh, under pressure. Um, you know, well, first of all, they've got to get 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 it right. Um, but I mean, in terms of Everton, Everton's argument is that this accounting period sort of is over a, a three or four season um, sort of campaigns, and they've already been punished for it once. And some of the seasons that they're counting um, are, have already been. Um, counted for um, within that 10-point deduction and their argument is that the Premier League don't have any rules to be punished twice almost for um, the same offence. So um, that that's one kind of argument that Everton uh, have got. My own sort of feeling on, on it is that you know, when Everton ad- admitted to, um, to sort of uh, breaching um, the, the rules last time, they did so having... You know, it was it was seen as narrow um, that they only just missed out, but it wasn't. I mean, their accounting and what the Premier League allowed for them was way out from what other Premier League teams were were saying that they lost over over COVID. I mean, you know, Everton I think pushed the boundaries considerably and still went over them. And my uh, while I've got a certain amount of sympathy for Everton supporters and um, potentially Nottingham Forest um, supporters if they get. Um, sort of a, a deduction. 
is for the teams that have stayed within the rules and maybe didn't bring in that striker that could have kept them up um, last season or the season before. And if you come into the Premier League and you are prepared to abide by the rules and the rules are set by the clubs, let's not forget, um, you know, uh, I, I struggle to have too much sympathy for the for the teams themselves. Um, you know, the, the fans don't choose the owners and I, I'd have more sympathy for them. But... I mean, they all know the rules that they're playing to, and um, if if you sort of break them, I, th- I think you've got to face the consequences. You have to be silent when you're buying. Basically, is the way it reads, and it, obviously it's, people say, well, "What about Man City, Chelsea, etc.?" They've made great balances on their books by selling homegrown players, haven't they? That's how it reads. Oh, they have, yeah, yeah. That um, in, in terms of, sorry, I wasn't sure if that. Was, uh, apologies if I've jumped in sorry, there, but Mark, um, no, no. yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, no, that 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 is one of the um, uh, ways that Manchester City and Chelsea have been able to kind of stay within um, the rules. I mean, they also, of course, bring in um, you know a lot of money. Um, in terms of sponsorship, in terms of what they've been able to do in the Champions League um, in previous years. Obviously, Manchester City have got um, charges against them that are being dealt with. They are different to the ones that we're talking about here with Everton and Nottingham Forest, and they have dragged on for a long time. And that, again, is I think that it has gone on sort of longer than ideal, but it's, you know, we're talking about over 100 um, charges that Manchester City um, are facing, and that does take a a long, long time to sort out. And, um, you know, legally, um, it doesn't feel as simple a case, I suppose, as what um, is currently being sort of charged against Everton and Nottingham Forest. So I'm not sure that they're um, exactly the same. And I, I just don't see this as, you know, one rule for kind of smaller Premier League teams and another um, for, for the big ones. I think we're, we're looking at different cases when we're talking about Man City and Nottingham Forest, for example. And the final piece on that is when it comes to Chelsea is from an accounting point of view and a lot of people have raised questions around well Chelsea has spent a million quid the reason Chelsea have given players seven and eight year contracts is that they're able to recognise the purchase of that asset over that seven year period which helps them on the books but yeah everything that Mark said around revenue as well certainly plays into the bigger boys hands who has the best accountants what it sounds like to me anyway thanks to Mark Langdon and Paul Curry. we have a quick break to ba- take we'll be back with tennis Game On on 2FM Welcome back. Stephen Higgins of Cross Court View has joined me in studio to look ahead to what's to well, what's a look back on what's already happened in the Australian Open and look ahead to what should come over the next few weeks. It is day four this evening. I'm trying to get my head around it. It's very hard to to figure it out when uh, when the matches are overnight. Uh, Stephen, have you been up all night watching tennis? I've been trying to find some sort of balance of uh, <laughs> watching maybe the start of the morning sessions, maybe watching a bit of the night session and looking back and the player kind of it's yeah, it's not amenable to an Irish no. schedule. Funny enough now Marie managed it when the women's World Cup was on in Australia. I did. Yeah. But they had Funny the time. When, when you have a real interest yeah. in something, yeah, Marie. You're right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, don't be flogging us with that one. <laughs> there's a will, there's a way, eh? Yeah, funnily enough. But look, a few upsets, Stephen, since it started, and a few not-so-upsets, I suppose. But Andy Murray bowed out quite tamely yesterday or the day before. Yeah, it's a bit disappointing with uh, Andy Murray in that he lost to uh, Thomas Acheveri, who's a top-30 player, but lost fairly limply. We, he's had such a run-around at Australia that he's 
four times lost in the final to Novak Djokovic usually performs really well of course had a tearful uh, press conference in Australia a few years ago where he was set to retire um, but then ended up playing the next year after yeah, after his hip surgery and he's it does look like maybe it's a season too far which is sad to see there's also been say uh, Stan Wawrinka went out in the first round and Dominic Thiem who's considerably younger than those two but he's also really struggling to get back to the form that he used to be at and I wonder if we'll see all of those men competing when we come to the 2025 season it would be interesting to see Naomi Osaka came back of course six months after having a baby 15 months off tour but she didn't quite have the luck she went out to Caroline Garcia yeah, so Osaka is part of a comeback trio of women who had uh, kids. So you had Caroline Wozniacki who came back. You had Angelique Kerber and Naomi Osaka. I think the one that's the most exciting will probably be Osaka because it's an earlier stage of her career. She was a two-time mm-hmm. champion there. She has plenty of time to find her old form and I'd expect her to do that throughout the rest of the year. Caroline Garcia is a nightmare first round. Caroline Garcia won the WTA finals a year or so ago can play top four tennis. Uh, she gave a good account of herself. This is really early in her comeback. She seems really enthused about uh, playing tennis again. So I'd expect to be looking for an upturn for her around maybe March when you get to your Indian Wells, Miami. But I've no doubts for her. I think with people like Kerber and Wozniacki, I'd have more concern given that they're in their 30s. Their games were always based on movement and retrieving shots and kind of wearing their opponents down. Obviously, as you can see with the example of Andy Murray, that gets so much harder the older you get. And I'd be a bit sceptical about whether Kerber and Wozniacki can really compete with the likes of Shantek and Sabalenka and Rubikina as the season progresses. There's quite a few moms, isn't there? There's a number of moms, yeah, yeah. across the tour. It, it's, I think, maybe... In recent times, Kim Kleister set a great precedent. Obviously, historically, you did have one, but when she came back and won a mm-hmm. couple of majors, got back to world number one. But there's numerous players now who can take some time off tour, come back in their late 20s or even in the 30s. Because they're doing it quite a lot now in the um, in women's football in America as well. So it's, it's just starting to become normal that you just take a little bit of time, have a baby and that you can come back and play. I think because they're independent contractors in a sense, it may be, and if it depends on success levels as well, if they have a bit of a reserve of money, they can go off, mm-hmm. come back, they get a protected ranking that they can use to enter a certain number of tournaments so they don't have to go through qualifying and start afresh. There are a couple that are out, but there are plenty of big names gone through. Obviously, Novak Djokovic, he's on, he's not playing tomorrow, but he went straight through, seated number one and... He looked pretty much like Novak always looks, didn't he? Yeah, well, Novak has that, like, I mean, there's a little bit of a concern over his wrist beforehand in the United Cup, but we have seen that story so many times before. We've had everything happen to Novak Djokovic in a match. He'll still end up winning the tournament. Novak has 10-time champion, chasing his 11th, also chasing the 25th major of his career, which would set him one clear of Margaret Court if you're using that as the example. But at this stage, Novak is clearly the best men's player of all time. He's just setting records now that it's very hard to see them matched in the coming future. Like you'll have to have someone extraordinary come along. I don't even know if Alcaraz is up to that if he has 15 clean years. But yeah, I'd expect Djokovic. He has a very good draw as well. Um, so I'd assume he'll be into his uh, 48th semi-final. Tell us least. about uh, Mira Andreeva, the 16-year-old Russian phenomenon. Yeah, Mira Andreeva is uh, really interesting. She's playing Anjabor later th- this morning, I guess, our time. And uh, she kind of was a great junior and had an amazing breakout at Roland Garros when she got into the second week last year. Uh, she's an incredible player. I mean, it's that issue of obviously the Russian players are now being re- like rehabilitated, so mm-hmm. we say, in the public image back onto the tour. 
Um, she's great potential, great two-handed backhand, as all Russian players do. She'll be a real test for Anjabur because Jabur can be a bit streaky. Sometimes she takes a while to get going into tournaments um, and she's had the odd injury problem. So that's definitely the match of the night, anyway, for day four. There's some other good matches. Coco Goff is on, uh, Sabalenka, Sakari. There's plenty of good women's games through the night and into the morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... The, diff, the most difficult part of the draw is for Iga Swiatek. She's already, she had to play Sophia Kennan in her first round. Kennan, a former Australian Open champion. Next, she's going to play Daniel Collins. Daniel Collins, a runner-up in 2022. So that's very high-level players. She could go out to Daniel Collins if Collins plays at her absolute peak and Swiatek is a bit off. Whereas Sabalenka and Goff have really good sections of the draw. Like Sabalenka kind of has to make the second week unless something insane happens Goff has a very good level uh, good part of draw as well Elena Rabaikina the former Wimbledon champion is in a really interesting section with uh, Jess Pagula who's also a top five player and then a player I really like Chin Wen Zhen who's the kind of Chinese phenomenon at the moment she's pushing towards getting into top ten I think she's going to be a really big deal she's going to have a huge Grand Slam run probably this year could be Australia but maybe later in the year you said Novak had a really good part of the draw on the men's side, so that means there has to be competition in the other side. Yannick Sinner's on tonight, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Rublev, they all play again tomorrow. What's the other side of that draw looking like? Yeah, so the other side is all about Carlos Alcaraz, obviously, who is like a friend of the show at this point anyway. <laughs> Shane's in love with Carlos Alcaraz himself. Alcaraz missed last year's Australian Open with injury, so he's back refreshed. Um, he has a tricky part of the draw because in the fourth round he could play Tommy Paul who also made the semi-finals before here or Jack Draper who's a really good British player who's coming along um, but also it's it's kind of it's hard to see anyone beating Djokovic though at this point I mean Daniel Medvedev the former two-time runner-up will be a really big factor here Yannick Sinner is also, I think, the one who kind of... He'll be the next new men's Grand Slam champion. So he finished top four. He beat Djokovic twice at the end of last season, helped Italy win the Davis Cup. When? How long will it take him? Well, if we look at the... If we break it out, we four Grand Slams. So Australia's actually a, a tournament where loads of players play well, but Djokovic still wins. So Sitsiplas plays well there. That's where he gets all his points. Sinner could easily get to the semi-finals of this. Uh, Roland Garros... If Nadal isn't there, and we see we Nadal is probably not going to be the force that he used to be, and this is maybe his last season. That is more open on one side of the draw, at least because Djokovic will be favourite. But you have more openings. Wimbledon's very difficult. No one really plays well in grass apart from Djokovic. The US <laughs> Open is kind of your leveler if you want to break it out. But no, I think Sinner will be a big factor this year. So if you're expecting like who's going to be the next guy who's going to break through, Yannick Sinner is prime candidate for that. Sounds interesting. We have to keep an eye on him. Obviously, the Wimbledon champion Marketa Vandrusova. She went out this morning as well, or yesterday. Yeah, Vandrusova is kind of had a very up and down career. Anyway, she was the runner-up at Roland Garros, then had some injury issues, then won Wimbledon in a massive shock. Really, no one picked her to win Wimbledon. She played brilliantly. She she can play at a very elite level, as that Grand Slam proved. But she's very streaky. Didn't start the year particularly well. Obviously, we always have to say with the women's side compared to the men's side, when it's best to three, there was more pressure early on for the women to hold on and retain that standard. If you're Novak Djokovic or you're Nadal or you're Sinner or you're Medvedev, if you lose the first set in a Grand Slam, it's not a big deal, really. You have plenty of time to fix it. If you are Iga Svantec and you lose mm -hmm. the first set, your opponent only needs to get one more. So there is that added pressure on the women's side. So who's going to win? 
On the women's side, uh, I still think it'll be the easier draws are for Sabalenka and Goff, so I'd expect them to both be getting to the semi-finals. Shanta could go out because she's a very difficult section. She could also face Svitolina, who knocked her out of Wimbledon later on in the tournament. So she has a ropey tournament. So I think it'll probably be someone like Sabalenka or Goff on the women's side. Rubikin is also in there. I don't know if it'll go beyond the, those usual kind of four suspects. We do get shocks in the women's draw, but I think they're quite clearly above the rest of them. We know we're talking about the draw one side and the other and I was watching the clips back today looking at different games when I came across an Indian uh, tennis correspondent who was having a right rant about the side of the draw that the Indian Summit Nagal was on. Now he beat Bublik, didn't he? That's that's a really random one. Yeah, Summit Nagal beating Bublik. Yeah, um, I mean the draws you'll have players giving out about you. I mean there's a big co-contingent of fans of all the players giving out the different draws. The, the draws are made, you know, fairly, you know, kind of above board, just randomly. Apart from the seeded players, anyone can face anyone. So, like, for instance, uh, Caroline Pliskova, former world number one, um, like, she was scheduled in the first round to play one of the top seeds. So, like, the, the draws kind of, you know, people worry about conspiracies with the draws, but the draws are fairly straightforward. Well, our Indian correspondent was fairly upset. I mean, it's worth watching, <laughs> so it is. It was, it was good. It was good TV. Stephen, thank you so much. And you might come back into us a bit over the next few weeks as well. Keep us up to date. Keep Ruby entertained as he spends his days watching tennis. Look, my nocturnal schedule. Top-level sport, Marie. <laughs> I get up at the middle of the night and watch it, like, just because you only there, watch what you like. There you go. That's a, t- a sport that I could see you going into. Me? Yeah. Like, not that NFL, more of a tennis. Eye, that involves hand-eye coordination. <laughs> Look. I'd say you'd be good at it. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much. Uh, we are going to turn our attention to Gaelic games now. And there's been a lot of focus on Dublin Cup Ballyboden Sendendas over the last few days because they've made a submission to both the LGFA and the Camogie Association in an effort to protect the welfare of their female dual players due to the fixture congestion in both codes, something that has came up so much, different counties, inter-county level. We've talked about it a huge amount over the last number of years. The club released a statement last week saying that the current schedule puts totally unreasonable demands on their dual players. And we are joined by two players who have experienced these demands, Rachel Ruddy and Hannah Leddy. You're both so, so welcome. I'm going to go to you um, first, Rachel. After three All-Ireland titles, you've played a huge amount of uh, both sports over your career. Just give us a little bit of context, Rachel. What was it like trying to juggle two sports for so long? Hi, Marie. Uh, Thanks for giving us a chance to talk about this. Um, yeah, it is. It's a huge player welfare issue that has been going on for a long time. And I've experienced it myself, having played both camogie and football at club and county level. And for, I'd say, 10 years, I, I did club uh, both sports. And I loved playing both sports, but it just got to the point where, where it was so, so hard because of the way the fixtures are set up. And eventually I had to choose uh, one sport over the other. Um, I, w- I was lucky enough I won several championships with both teams but it just came to a point where the demand and what was being asked of any dual player was just it was it put us at higher risk of injuries we were getting burnt out and um, eventually I had to make that decision um, for, for player welfare issues and we don't want younger players to have these player welfare issues or to have to make a, a choice 
So that's why Valley Road and we've launched this submission. So Rachel, just for people that, that don't know, I, a lot of people, I'm always surprised that they don't even understand or they're not aware that ladies football and camogie are different to Gaelic games, that they have their own associations. So um, there isn't always a huge amount of communication. They set their own fixtures. They look after themselves as you would if you have a, an, your own association. Um, but that means that the players lose out, out a little bit. And we've, we've covered so many times... Um, women having to play games on the same day, having to play the night before in Cork and then travel to Donegal the next day. Did you have days like that where you had two, three, four games in, in a couple of weeks, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's the life of a dual player that you, you could be playing a championship match on a Saturday and then another one on a Sunday. Or there was one year where I had a Leinster championship final with Ali Bowden for Camogie. On a, on a Saturday and then the next day there was a, another Leinster semi-final and it's 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 just really tough and um, I really hope that this submission will encourage the associations to come together and try and work this out because it's it's been going on for such a long time and uh, with a bit of organisation and communication we really think we're, we're hopeful that this could get sorted. Hannah Leddy is with us as well. Hannah, in Ballyboden, you have camogie and ladies football, but you also have hurling and football, and, and obviously at a, at a really high level when you look at the county finals this year. When you're looking at the, your male counterparts, do they have the same issues that you do as dual players? Basically, because they're GA separate to us, um, they have a coordinated club calendar, so they play alternative weeks of football and hurling, um, which considers player welfare of dual players and facilitates them because our associations are different. Um, we are playing back successive nights and back-to-back matches, but because they're a different association, they don't have to deal with that. So we're looking at the lads in the club and friends, club mates, and they don't have to deal with the same issues that we do um, in the club. Hannah, what happened to the one club model that was supposed to come in in 2017? Um, yeah, so the one club model isn't really being um, supported by the two associations at the moment. Um, the club fixture schedule in Dublin at the moment um, for the women is just not supporting the club one club model. Um, and it kind of goes against it where all co- codes are supposed to be treated equally, male or female. And at the moment, it's not supporting dual players um, under this model. Rachel, why do you feel the LGFA and the Camogie Association are not supporting the One Club model? Well, I guess uh, both associations have their own fixtures uh, to to get played out and that's completely understandable and they want to get everything tied up and and organised. But we just are looking at our male counterparts and seeing that it can be organised and it can be done in a way where we we aren't asking players to burn themselves out and leave themselves at higher risk of injuries. It can be organised and it's it's not impossible. So um, we would really love if if they could coordinate things um, better for us. If I put you in charge, what would you do? Well, we know that WGA for the men's football and hurling have have it week on, week off, and the lads have the choice. If they want to play both sports, they can, and they can do that without the risk of uh, maybe getting an injury. And especially now, the sports science is so good at, at all levels of GAA, and nearly all players have been taught about recovery in the last few years and um, how important it is for, for players to be able to continue playing their sports and just what's been asked of the dual players goes against that 
science completely. We're just not getting the chance for recovery at all. Hannah, so what's in the, the submission? What do you what do you want in the practical terms? Um, so the submission is kind of requesting um, both associations direct their respective county boards to implement a coordinated club fixture programme, um, which will take into account the player welfare of adult dual players, because at the moment it's just leading to serious player welfare issues um, for dual players. And we want a similar structure to what the lads have in that they play on alternative weeks of football and hurling. Um, and just looking after the player welfare because it's just placing excessive demands on dual players at the moment. Um, so the submission is kind of requesting that both associations can address this and coordinate some sort of schedule um, from this year on. Rachel, you've more, both made a case that sounds so simple. Who can yeah. make this happen and why isn't it being made happen? We're appealing to Crow Park and to the LGFA and the Camogie Association to sit down and, and look at their schedules and, and um, try and coordinate and communicate this and get it sorted sooner rather than later. We're, as Bally Bowden are bringing this up early in the year because we all hear the stories in the summer once championship kicks off, like you said, Marie, of players all around the country being asked to travel and um, huge unreasonable demands being placed on them because they choose to play both sports whereas we don't hear that from from any men's clubs really and so we think that it it definitely can be sorted out if they sit down and talk to each other A decision by committee is often very very difficult to get so is there any one person one body that can make this happen it seems to me like the book is getting passed from A to B to C and it's going round and round in a circle but no one's getting an answer I guess we'd come back to that one club model that the LGFA and the Camogie Association have signed up to with the GAA saying that there is that framework for all codes and they really pushed to join that and we have that in, in Ballyboden where all four codes should have kind of equal access to resources and pitches and facilities and we're getting that but then when it comes to um, player welfare the female players just can't get that because of the way the fixtures are organised at the moment so um, so that's why we, we think we really need a solution on this And Hannah what about integration um, we know it's going to come at some stage we don't know when do you think that that is going to make any difference or does this need to be sorted right here right now um, Yeah we're looking for a solution for this year like we want 2024 to be the year where we have this um, coordinated schedule so integration will be great but we want something from this year so um, yeah we need it we need a, a solution right now kind of Are you hopeful Hannah? Um, yeah I think this is a really good initiative and we have a lot of support from clubs all around the country there are so many clubs and players in the same boat uh, it's a huge issue but um, hopefully we can get the template uh, going and help others well. Might, is might have to come to heavy ladies just don't turn <laughs> it's usually the best way of getting people to listen not a word out of them not a word out of them <laughs> you want something to happen take it law into your own hands uh, Rachel and Hannah thank you so much do not listen to Ruby okay <laughs> although he I'm sure he's fought many a battle uh, during his career but uh, thank you so much yep. we wish you the best uh, with this it's really important that it does get sorted out for everybody playing now and for everybody coming behind you guys as well uh, thank you so much um, that is all we have time for this evening just to bring you the score in the hockey Ireland of course playing Korea 
uh, in their final pool game of the Olympic qualifiers. It started a quarter past six. It is into the second quarter and it is scoreless as it stands. So you'll have to um, either get on to X or tune in tomorrow to find out how it goes. I was looking and I couldn't find it. Oh, well, there you go. I'll send it on to you. That's all we have. Time for Better De Silva is up next. RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last.